0: Hello and welcome back to Cvikminderpod, an Icelandic cinema podcast. I'm Rob Watts and on this podcast me and my good friend Ellie Cawthorn chat about Icelandic film. This week, sadly, we come to the end of our first journey through the films of 21st century Iceland, but we're ending on a good one. Now we've seen a lot of Iceland in the snow, therefore since it's summer we thought we'd end on a sunny film. This is the land of the midnight sun, but even so... That big burning ball of gas is in short supply in Iceland, so you've got to make the most of it. But what if you can't and it's someone else's fault? That's the setup for this final week's film, another darkly comic movie titled Under the Tree. Can you guess what's in the way of the sun? Let's find out. Hello, Ellie.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. How are you doing today?
1: I'm fine, thanks. I've got the sun shining on me, and so I'm ready to go. Unlike um, if there was a big tree outside casting a big shadow on me. Yeah, you're <laughs> <That> not in Aviorg's position
0: today, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> um, so that's a good way into the, to the episode where we're going to be talking about Under the Tree from 2017. Uh, this is a film by Hafstein Gunnar Sigelsson. Uh, The Icelandic title is Undir Trenu, and uh, I'll do a little synopsis, as I usually do. Please do. In a Reykjavik suburb, a large maple tree in the garden of Inga and Baldvin casts a shadow onto the porch of their neighbours, Conrad and Eibjörg, and the dispute over doing something about this tree slowly spirals out of control. Meanwhile, Inga's son Atli is dealing with the fallout of his betrayal to his wife. And this is a comedy, right? Is it? (laughs)
1: Uh, I think it is actually do you know what even more so than some of the other ones I've seen it possibly gets even darker but it definitely has funny moments and laugh out lo- loud moments actually I thought as well
0: oh good we'll, we'll come to those then because um, I'm not sure where I laughed out loud if I laughed out loud at all it's because it's very um, very bleak it's very oh, dark
1: incredibly bleak
0: yeah it's just a bit it's that classic Icelandic thing that we've seen across the series of it there's a, it just being very understated and very almost to the point of I don't know if I'm allowed to laugh or if I should laugh.
1: Mm-hmm. I think this is kind of um, a bit further though, isn't it? Because the, the laughs or some of the, the laughs I had were almost like shock laughs, and okay. we might come to some of them later. I'm thinking particularly of certain dogs on certain porches, but yes. we can discuss that <laughs> further down the line, maybe.
0: Yeah, that is a standout uh, a moment. <laughs>
2: Er þetta skuggi svona sem að á hællin hjá okkur? Þetta tríða verður látið í friði. Hefur þú séð köttið minn? Þannig að horfið. Æ, Og við erum farin að skaða hvort annað. Þess! Þannsar allra við svona?
0: Uh, yeah, so obviously the film centres around the two couples, the elderly couple, not elderly, but the older couples, Inger and Baldwin and Eibjörg and Conrad. But it opens with a scene <laughs> that feels kind of unrelated. I mean, there's a whole plot that feels kind yeah. of separate to this main plot. But it's Atli, who is Inger and Baldwin's son, uh, <laughs> at home, he's in bed with his wife, he can hear some sex going on somewhere mm-hmm. and he decides to go and have a have a wank in the living room over a sex tape with his former partner.
1: This was a, a scene of many twists and turns, wasn't it? Because mm. you thought, um, the way it, the way it was kind of edited together, you thought, first of all, okay, we're seeing the people that are next door having sex. Then you realise it's on a screen, so you mm-hmm. think, okay, he's watching some porn video. And then it turns out it's actually him <laughs> in an old video with an old girlfriend. So there was a lot to um, digest in one opening scene there.
0: Absolutely, yeah. It was quite It was quite cool in its twists and turns within yeah. such a small kind of mundane scene.
1: This whole storyline was interesting to me because I think, uh, you know, I'd watched the trailer before and I thought, how is this going to fit into any of it? Because it definitely seems like quite tangential this whole Atley storyline mm. i know that they kind of come together in the end but quite a lot of time is devoted to this storyline possibly as much as the debate over the tree yeah um so i think that's maybe perhaps a bit misleading in say like the trailer you think it's just going to be a straight war of you know keeping up with the joneses but there's actually this whole other strand to it which seems to do something else entirely
0: well maybe i think thematically it's quite similar Yeah, the whole thing is Fargo-like. So within quite a mundane situation, things just sort of slowly spiral and get out of control. Mm -hmm. And I think that's to a lesser degree seen in the Atlee and Agnes story. Uh, Mm -hmm. But also that their story allows the characters in the main plot to show another side of them. I'm thinking specifically Baldwin. Who yeah. some of there is one moment I laughed out loud at, and that's Baldvin talking to Attlee at one point. But yeah, it kind of feels like it's quite top-heavy with this relationship drama. But then yeah. it kind of lets it go, and we see the tree in question, etc. But I my my thought was, because it, it dominates so much of the film. Is Agnes's response justified? The weight of her response, like how much she just immediately shuts him out of her life
1: um maybe because um <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting question but i think we kind of learn more about the situation don't we as it develops so at first it does seem like that he's cheated on her and then this idea that emerges is that he's kind of cheated on her emotionally as it were yeah. by watching this video of him with an ex-girlfriend rather than necessarily actually doing anything while they were together and then it kind of develops again that she says you know we should probably have never got together mm-hmm. and our relationship hasn't worked for ages so I feel like there's a lot of context there that you don't really get um until a bit later on because obviously you don't see their their relationship before their relationship ends so i wonder if you know there's something in that that you're kind of meant to infer i'd also say that i find he definitely was quite threatening wasn't he when he went to her workplace and the kindergarten and stuff in a way that i thought yeah fair enough he can get lost
0: okay i i agree but it just seems like he's not given any chance to talk to her to talk this through and yeah you're right maybe that's already happened like we're at that point where he he could have done all these things and this is the breaking point but for so much of the film i'm just like just just talk to each other if you talk to each other then none of this will happen like you've changed the locks within i know like 12 hours or something like he can't get back into his own house where everything that he owns is um Mm. and so he's being he's resorted to trying to talk to her in person which results in you know the slowest car chase ever and some quite like what does become quite threatening behavior like when he's at her workplace yeah. and when he throws the phone and when he basically abducts their child
1: but it, it's, it, <laughs> you said that in quite oh and when he kind of basically abducts their child
0: yeah it's, that, it's just that kind of it is obviously terrible terrible behavior but i sort of felt for him not necessarily justified but like I understood why he was doing what he did
1: I know what you mean about um it, that kind of mirroring of the escalation of of things so that before you know it you've created a really kind of toxic atmosphere yeah and I know I guess a lot of divorces probably do go that way that it starts off a couple of small things and then it's just more and more and more Mm -hmm. and it snowballs which definitely seems to happen and then but I guess with that storyline we see we see it all escalating and kind of falling apart but then we also see it coming out the other side of that yeah but as it turns out it might be too late
0: yeah well we'll come back to that relationship as we talk through the main plot I suppose which is the the titular tree uh, some information on the tree, actually. So, well, some okay, some context. I didn't
1: think that I didn't think that the tree would be so central. The tree itself. Well, go on then.
0: Well, I mean, it is the main, it's the crux of the plot, isn't it? Mm. Um, but actually, this kind of situation apparently is quite common in Iceland. Um, the director talks about how neighbor rage is quite a thing in Iceland.
1: Really? Yeah. Well, actually, I did want to mention. When we're kind of talking about that theme, that obviously one thing that happens in the sub storyline mm-hmm. is there's the the house meeting, oh, as it yeah. were, of the block of flats, mm-hmm. which definitely is to try, I guess, to try and reinforce this idea that everybody is annoyed with their neighbours, in which we have the neighbours complaining about somebody's noise, which again is a really funny scene, but is a very strong echo of the main storyline of kind of neighbourly tensions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And no one gives a shit about Atlee and Agnes's problems. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, can you stop making loads of noise to the younger couple and the drains need doing? <laughs> uh, I thought it was quite interesting how the guy who runs the, ha- the sort of house meeting is Gisley from Let Me Fall. And he's what? he's basically playing the opposite character.
1: Yeah. Was that him? Oh, my God. I did not realise that at all. And also, I did realise, obviously, that Agnes was Stella from Let Me Fall. Yeah. But it did take me probably two scenes to kind of make that connection. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Gisley, he was unrecognisable, I think, because he was so noticeably horrendous in the last <laughs> film we saw him <laughs> in.
0: Yeah, but also it's so pathetic. Well, not pathetic, but just like... Yeah, I'll, say, I'll go with pathetic. Yeah, okay, fine. He really can't deal with even really talking about sex. Like it's mm-hmm. embarrassing for him. Whereas before it was just, yeah, the other end of the spectrum. But that scene is is brilliant. We've seen quite a lot of group meetings, like family and friends meetings, and this one was one of the more comical. Uh, mm-hmm. But you definitely, I definitely like that idea that it reflects the the main plot.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you have to see because <laughs> you've got to see þetta er alveg ógeðslekt og hérna
0: það það er búið að sko er margt tala um þetta við ykkur og það breytist ekki neitt
2: og það ómar hérna um húsið svona í ykkur það heyrast orðaskill ja sko á milli íbúða sko og og, og þú er ég þú ég er þú ég þú ég þú þú ég þú ég þú ég þú ég þú ég þú Samma bara enkelt leva inte man ska åka hör du att ljusta upp bara allt regnsko. Är du härna? Är du lite lite? Ja, jag är en lite. Ja, du är inte finkur i antaftar. Du är inte.
1: I'm sorry, I did I kind of um, digressed from you saying about the the neighbourly tensions in Iceland. Yeah, so
2: neighbour
0: rage. I mean, we all have it, don't we? We all sit there at home especially in a terraced house. Like, can you just shut the fuck up? I'm trying to record a podcast or something. <laughs> um, but in Iceland specifically, there aren't many trees. It's, it's That's a defining characteristic of the, of the landscape itself. Uh, and also the sun, they don't get... There's not so much sun in Iceland, you know. Two
1: things that are in short supply.
0: Exactly. So in the winter, you know, there's basically no sun. And in the summer it's there, but not for a long period of time over the course of the summer. So people want as much sun as they can get when they can get it, but people are also very protective over their trees. And that combination, that's pretty mm. explosive. So in that respect, it's quite a, uh, an Icelandic specific story.
1: You'd think though that there's, I mean, there's not that many people in Iceland compared to the amount of space there is that it wouldn't be such an issue because there's a bit more space per person
0: yeah i guess but then you look at that i think it's like 60s that suburb that they're in uh and they've built it like any other city so the houses are terraced and they're next to each other and so you if you want a tree in your garden i mean i don't know whether that tree was like grown from a seed oh that would
1: be like a 40 year old tree surely yeah it was a big it was a big one
0: so I don't know whether it's planted but it's in it's, it's in your garden it's your it's it's just part of your house so you're not going to want to get rid of it and when the houses are all so tightly packed together it makes sense that it's going to impede on your neighbor's porch and, and their sun bathing times uh but yeah like I was going to say about the tree so they couldn't actually find a tree that they in the right location. So the tree that's in the film wasn't really in that garden. Oh. They, yeah, uh, the director put a call out. He likes maple trees, apparently. So he put a call out for people who might be considering cutting down their tree. Mm-hmm. Some couple were like, yep, yeah, we've got a tree you can have. So they cut the tree down, filmed it all in like a big open space. They shot the shit out of the tree and then cut the crown off and just stuck the, um, What's the main part of a tree? Trunk. The trunk. That's it. <laughs> well, oh my tree the, knowledge. The
1: stem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the stem of a tree. Uh, yeah, the trunk. So they just stuck the trunk in the in the garden and used that, and then CGI did the top, which I thought so was interesting. quite interesting because this film has a lot of parallels with Rams, uh, mm-hmm. and I just like the idea that CGI is used so subtly for the most mundane of things. You wouldn't notice. I would
1: never, ever have known that the tree was CGI.
0: No, it's quite a cool idea, but also quite funny that if this is a situation that arises all the time, they had to still had to find a tree.
1: <laughs> yeah. And
0: you know, fake it. But it's we all have these problems with our neighbours, don't we? And it kind of uh, well, you're
1: next door to a park, so nobody there's annoying you.
0: Is that is that sarcasm? Because uh, the park is full of people walking dogs <laughs> and screaming and.
1: <laughs> you can't really um, develop a long-standing feud with um, the general public in a park. Okay, though, no, you? that's
0: very true. Yeah, I mean, how how would you feel if you were Abjorg in this situation?
1: Um, so I actually think that Abjorg is pretty blameless in this in this whole yes sequence of events. Okay, because I feel it's it's fine to say. I don't suppose you might be able to trim your tree a tiny mm-hmm. little bit. That's legitimate. Maybe it's a bit diva yeah, but it doesn't, you know, deserve you having your dog murdered for it. I Spoiler! Like, <laughs> I mean, we're
0: going <laughs> we to not it, gonna get to it. We're not going to get to that.
1: Um, all she really does is go out cycling and be mildly sarky. Um, I didn't massively warm to her, but I did think that she was probably one of the most guiltless. It's definitely... Um, inger that sets events on fire in a seemingly inexplicable way in a way that you're like you don't have to be that horrible
0: no Uh oh, no no let's talk about inger then because you're right a Bjorg, she just wants some sun uh and she's asked her husband to ask nicely if they'll trim the tree and we yeah. see that scene
1: she's really she's really not so interesting as a character actually I don't think as some of the others she's just kind of a normalish person that happens to be there yeah
0: they th- she has a little bit of sort of backstory or she has a mm. bit of story about you know, they're trying to get pregnant um, mm. and they're both slightly older but that's kind of all she's really given that and that she's quite healthy and fit
2: mm. uh,
0: but Inger on the other hand is um, a force of nature yeah. So the actress who plays Inga, Edda Björgvinsdottir, she's apparently quite famous as a comedian in
1: really? Iceland.
0: Uh, as is the actor who plays Atli. So I think it's quite interesting how you've got these really quiet, especially in Inga's case, like really dramatic roles played by mm. comedians ostensibly. What did you think of yeah. her performance? She's, she is stone-faced, like, bitch, right?
1: Yeah, she is stone cold. And she's just kind of like this broiling bag of rage and um, bitterness, isn't mm. she, really? Uh, from from pretty much day one. But obviously we do see kind of cracks in that facade. So when, when it's um, her son's birthday, the son that has, has died.
0: Oh, yeah, so we should say that. <laughs> We we find out early on that Atley is Inga's son, but also she had another son called Uggy, who mm. seems like she preferred.
1: And this is, I guess, the idea that this is where all her bitterness and her her rage is kind of coming from—the loss yeah, of her son, the grief. We definitely see, yeah, a kind of a a more grieving, sad side of that. One of the moments <laughs> I probably shouldn't have found funny, but was funny. Was when she had the dinner party for the oh, yeah. the dead son's birthday, and Eating then lamb. <laughs> singing started singing "Happy Birthday" at the oh, dinner God. table while crying, which obviously is so tragic. It but really somehow is. it was it was funny too.
0: Yeah, proper like cringe funny. I just yeah. sat there like, oh, oh, no, can't can't bear it. And even Atley's like that. He's not even upset. He's just like, this is just horrible. I don't mm. want to be here. He hasn't got anywhere else to go, really, either.
2: Oh, look, you my little.
1: I do think that is definitely Inga. That from the start is kind of, she's the one that's fueling the feud. So uh, when she kind of just comes in for Abel for no reason, you know, saying you're always cycling and throws a bag of dog poo at yeah. Her, yeah, which is very uncalled for like
0: i get that i mean a dog shitting on your lawn is not a nice thing you shouldn't have to d- pick up after that kind of thing so i get that but that seems to be the only thing that has that abeorg has done slash not kept a lead on a dog.
1: Well that is an interesting question. So obviously we get this kind of escalating sequence of of events. So we get dog poo on the lawn, mm-hmm. slashed tires, no slashed
0: Yes, so yeah, so we have a dog poo on the lawn. That's when Inger calls a a cow. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, uh, wow, okay. But yes, then the tires are slashed.
1: Then it's gnomes. But my question is that because it is left quite ambiguous, some of it. Yes. Um, we don't see, apart from, obviously we see Inga taking the, their their dog, but we don't, for example, see anybody sashing the tyres. We don't see anybody putting the gnomes anywhere. No. What was your interpretation?
2: That- well,
0: I found, a, I was rereading my notes and I found a note from, I think it was like, It must have been just after the gnomes sequence. Mm -hmm. So the gnomes are put into Comrade and Abjörg's garden and then they get put in the bin by Abjörg and then they reappear in Inga's house, don't they? Mm -hmm. And so after that, I was like, sometimes it kind of feels like, is something supernatural happening? Or (laughs) my main thought was perhaps, I don't know where this film is going to go, so maybe... Uggy isn't really dead, but he's like (gasps) living in the loft or something or in the basement. And he's the one playing tricks because no one is caught on CCTV putting those gnomes back in the house. So like, how? How did they get there at all?
1: Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, actually. That is a good point. I also had a similar thing with Uggie that I feel like in a film, you know, it's Chekhov's gun thing, isn't it? In a film, if they ever say okay, well, we assume he's he killed himself, but no one knows because we, his death was never kind of verified. Mm, he went missing. Exactly. You think, okay, right, he's obviously going to come back at some point. But it was interesting that they decided to leave that kind of open loophole, but then not necessarily um, bring it through at the end. Of yeah, anything.
0: I wonder whether unresolved grief is much better worse and, yeah, and yeah. hits home a lot harder and we'll just never you, you don't have the resolution it. so you, yeah until she get, until Inga gets that then she can't, she's not going to move forward Yeah, um, but also and Baldwin doesn't know how to deal with it's that. It's
1: like Baldwin said um, I almost wish that your mother had seen your brother die yes. because then at least that would be some kind of closure so perhaps that's the purpose of that or perhaps he was in the he was in the attic all along. <laughs> or I thought it was going to be something that like Inga had had killed him or something like that. I thought there was going to be more to that thread of the story than it turned out that there was.
0: Yeah. No, I think yeah, I think that was just not just, but I think that's the driving force behind all her uh, oof, all the nastiness, issues, shall yeah. we say, all the issues and all the terrible things she does. Because but also, it does it is clear that maybe Atlee is suffering a similar thing, and that's why I think Agnes says that he's numb when she talks to mm-hmm. Baldwin. Uh, and so maybe he's not really got over his brother's death, but he's just acting in a different way to Inger, and mm. who knows about Baldvin? He seems to be the character with the with his head on his shoulders, uh, the most sensible. so because he, he goes to agnes and he sits down and they're talking about you know you should be solving this like grown ups uh, which i thought was quite funny uh and you know he he sort of understands the situation and helps her get ahead her around it and almost is the reason that that situation is resolved in a way but moving on after that he just he loses his shit as well but i wonder whether that's more because of Inga and her actions rather than mm. the loss of Uggy.
2: you not to a i i Það er ykkar þar fyrst og fremst að snúast um hag, ás, hvað henni er fyrir bestum. Vina börni að jafna rétt að elska báða sína. Og svo að er skikki lengur hvort annað. Og svo kannski snýst ekkert um helvitis upptöku. Hanna blóta. <laughs> Mér en En hann sé bara ekki á staðan um Og ég er alveg búin að reyna að, að í það bara að kærist ekki neitt. Skil. Já, afsakun, ég veit ekki en... með er mjög sína
0: so after that chat with Agnes, he then has a chat with Atlee in the tent and they sort of bond again. And it's like, okay, mm. father, son coming together. This is good. Hopefully they can then restore relationships with their mother and with, with Inga and things were gonna get better, uh, but they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the men generally are just so ineffective in every <laughs> situation. You know, they don't yeah. really do anything. I mean, he, Balvin does call the the tree surgeon. He does. Mm. The tree surgeon turns up. But because of what well, I can't remember why they're arguing. Is it about the gnomes or the cat or something? I can't remember why, but he sends the tree surgeon away. And it's like, that's just the wrong. That's absolutely the wrong decision mm. at this point.
1: Mm. Uh, I was intrigued by the kind of Inga baldwin relationship because i was like why is he kind of going along with this when she's so toxic you know if you're in a relationship with somebody who then you find out has ha, has abducted your mer, your neighbor's dog taken it to the vets had it euthanized then had it taxidermied and placed it back on their porch i think at that point i might be questioning my relationship with that person
0: well yes yes I mean, he clearly, he's basically, after that, he's just like... Because she essentially admits to him that she did that. Mm. Um, we'll we'll talk about that specific event in a second. But, he, he, but after that, he's basically just like so shocked and upset that I don't think he quite knows what to do in life. And Doesn't he just then immediately mm. go to the choir?
1: Yeah. I was glad to see some Icelandic choral music making a reappearance. I feel like every single film that we've watched has had some in.
0: Yeah, and I think it's it's a, a big part of Icelandic culture, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and obviously for Baldvin it's a source of socializing comfort. and comfort. Yeah. Although he, he, he's obviously a bit too preoccupied to actually sing at that point.
2: it. Mm. Mm.
0: What she does is just so despicable. Like it's absolutely another level from all the pranks that have been going on previous. Because you could describe everything previous to them as pranks in some sort of way.
1: Yeah. I guess that her interpretation is that she suspects they've killed her cat. When there there isn't any evidence of that.
0: Except that the cat hasn't been around.
1: The cat has gone missing. Hmm. But I guess that's what she would see as the next step of escalation. Okay, you take my cat. I take your dog, but the kind of <laughs> slow and methodical way in which she does it. You know, there's so many points in which she could say, oh, no, I'm not going to do yeah, this. this is too Hold much. on a minute. Even she goes back in just when they're about to put the dog down and you think she's going to say, oh, no, don't. I've changed my mind. And she's just like, oh, no, I'd like to take the body home with me. That
0: is mad. Yeah. I mean, that's for what from expectation to what actually happens. That is... A complete like 360 scenario.
1: That is full on serial killer stuff.
0: Truly. Like I'm not sure grief would well would really spur your brain to go I'll kill a dog mm. and I'll I'll stuff it and and there's something about stuffed dogs which is inherently funny. But it's like <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. really uncanny. Definitely. But ever since JD's stuffed dog in Scrubs, it's, I've found it hard to find them
1: <laughs> anything but funny. Taxidermy is always funny, in uh, yeah, a, in a dark, morbid way.
0: But at least, like, I don't know, birds or smaller animals look vaguely realistic. Yeah. I don't know a, do- a size of an Alsatian stuffed. It's just like I don't know how she how was so convinced think... immediately.
1: I think what's good about that moment and why it's so striking is it, it's really audacious, isn't it? Like, it, they could have easily made this film in which she had the dog killed and then she left it at the roadside or something, mm-hmm. which I thought was going to happen. Um, and would save uh, serve the same plot purpose, really. But the just outrageousness of having it stuffed and then placed <laughs> on the front doorstep makes it so much more striking Uh, and I think it's a moment that would stick with you when you think about this film for a lot longer because of that than if it had just been that she'd had killed it and um like laid it down dead
0: yeah because based on what's happened you could you could expect the dog to be involved in some way
1: oh I like everything that happened I knew was going to happen you know when you see there's a cat you're like Something's going to happen to that cat. Mm-hmm. When you see there's a the dog, you know that the dog is going to be involved. And the tree, obviously, the tree being the biggest Chekhov's gun mm-hmm. of them all, you know is going to have to come into play at some point, don't you?
0: Yeah, I get. I knew the tree. Obviously, do the tree was going to be involved, but I, I wasn't sure that it was going to play out the way it did. Why he's li- Why Atley's living at home, but staying in a tent in the garden is beyond me. Why? <laughs> Is it, oh, he doesn't because have a he's bedroom.
1: guarding the tree.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, he does a great job of that, doesn't yeah.
1: he? Yeah. Sticks his
0: headphones in, listening to a bit of Goose Goose, and then, yeah.
1: He has very good noise-cancelling headphones, that's for sure.
0: Considering they're just Apple iPod headphones, <laughs> yeah. which we all yeah. know are shit.
1: You can't hear a chainsaw about two foot away from you <laughs> and a humongous tree cracking in two.
0: Yeah. That I was, call bullshit on that. But, you know, dramatic yeah. whatever it is. Uh, yeah. So many Chekhov's guns because I was thinking, mm. you know, Baldwin at the uh, Conrad at the start is seen with his own gun at the firing range. I don't know why he has a gun. For, I mean, it doesn't get explained, but it does come into play at the very end and we'll come to that. But, mm. yeah, you're right. The tree, I didn't think of the tree as like actually being a, an object of devastation i was just assuming it would be destroyed itself
1: yes same the whole kind of tension is that kind of middle-class neighbours tension. So <laughs> that Comrade and Eggbook, you know, they have the fancy bikes, they have the fancy cars, they have the kind of gym kit, and they're very aspirational. So the kind of influence sure. is that they probably have a bit more money, and the others are, are less so. And there is definitely some kind of tension there about Partly, you know, kind of keeping up with the Joneses, but then obviously in a way that takes a very dark turn.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much Balvin... I'm not not sure how much I would... Would you not agree with that? Not necessarily. I mean, it's it's obvious that they have a better car and a better sort of Mm. way of life, but we don't know what Balvin and Inga's way of life would be if they weren't sort of just stewing in their own grief uh, and the only reason they've got a shit car is because they kept Augie's old car mm. uh, I don't know if they have another car at all but no I'm not sure about that that, that certainly didn't occur to me
1: well, there we go then. Uh, they
0: live in the same style and age of house but maybe hmm so poor Asker is <laughs> dead and stuffed and carry I, seeing them carry the dead dog next door <laughs> I can't get over like you should be able to carry a stiff like animal it's so horrible
1: but again it's it is funny it
0: is very funny and that's the moment I've watched this film twice that first time I can't I was waiting to hear your reaction to that moment because the first time I was just like what the actual fuck is going on now (laughs) I knew it was gonna go you know spiral out downwards and outwards but not there
1: and and from there it really goes off into the deep end i think i think that's the turning point for sure completely like, now we're just gone from what could be feasible neighborly tensions into just batshit um hysteria sure
0: this is yeah this is where the film takes its uh, fictional license and completely runs with it isn't it it's like because mm. uh so that yeah what happens then so they confront them with the dog and everyone's just a bit like this is, this is bad. This is weird. What do we do now? And Comrade, who, uh, you, you recognise, you do recognise Comrade and Balvin, right?
1: Yes. Yes. Don't Oh, don't worry. I've worked all this out in my head. Comrade, we've seen before in Let Me Fall as Magnea's father, right? Yep. Which I think made me... Um, go into this feeling quite sympathetic towards him. And then, <laughs> of course, clearly I don't understand the premise of actors and how that works. <laughs> um, and then Baldwin also felt quite sympathetic towards because, of course, Gummy in Rams. Absolutely. We've gone full circle. Yeah,
0: and he's without his beard as well.
1: Yeah, he looks a lot more 21st century in this
0: yeah a lot more 21st century but also it really helps like make him just seem a bit passive and just a bit wet
2: Mm.
0: whereas the beard Mm. i mean he was a farmer in rams but the beard makes him feel more rugged and like
2: Mm.
0: i don't know solid and like he knows what he's doing and in this film he's just like no hairless and uh and ineffective
1: (laughs) i thought they both gave really great performances as well in this for sure
0: yeah because they have to turn it on it's like from nothing to like, there's a
1: lot of range to cover, isn't there?
0: Absolutely, and in like a, the click of a click of the fingers, like it's just
1: mm.
0: zero to a hundred. Because then, obviously, the next big old event that happens is the the final act where Comrade's finally had enough. He's like, "That is just you. You don't stuff my dog. You don't kill and stuff my dog. <laughs> that tree is gonna have it. That's your pride and joy. We're gonna get rid of it." So yeah, he goes and. Uh, grabs his chainsaw, shoots out the camera.
1: But you need to mention also that the tree isn't the only thing in the garden.
0: Well, absolutely. He takes a chainsaw to the tree, but at least they're in his tent. How did I not see that coming?
1: Did you not see that coming? No. Because I did. <laughs> when, when they had the, the CCTV camera with the tent and the tree, I was like, I know where this is going. But I was very preoccupied about whether it was close enough to the tree to crush anyone inside. And yeah. it, as it turns out,
2: it was.
0: Yes. Well, that's such a that's such a great moment because it it ends up being Balvin's fault that Attlee gets seriously injured. How? Well, Conrad Because he was
1: going to bring the tree down anyway. He
0: was going to bring the tree down, but... I mean he could see that the tent was in the garden. I don't think his intention was to cut the tree down and kill Atlee. So he would have mm. hopefully he would have been going at it from the one side, then from the other side and then sent it in
2: mm.
0: I don't know what direction. I guess
1: if we're going to talk about this metaphorically. Oh, are we? The his <laughs> uh, we are. Atlee's death then is it's a culmination of them both, isn't it? You know, it's a culmination of this stupid two-side tension that's Mm. this feud that's developed. So they're both to blame, really. Oh, yeah. Both literally and metaphorically.
0: Completely. It is everybody's fault. I don't know if it's ever... I don't think Atley actually dies.
1: Did you... Interesting.
0: Do we see him being taken away in an ambulance?
1: We see him being taken away and then we see Balvin coming out of the hospital Hmm. in a very...
0: Catatonic, traumatized, state.
1: Yeah. catatonic state, which I read to mean he died. Okay. Because surely the only the only thing that could lead you to absolutely lose it and go after somebody with a gun mm. would be the death of your son. Surely.
0: Very, very possibly.
1: Although, having said that, his wife did kill and stuff a dog with pretty much no motivation. <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, you're probably right. I think it's most heavily implied because by the end, there's no one around. Uh, yeah, we don't see Atley again.
1: And I thought that surely, surely the fact that you know Agnes had kind of reached this resolution with Atley, they'd reached this point in which they were going to build, you know, rebuild a broken relationship, not to be together, but as parents. Mm-hmm. That then the point is that they they were just about to get that back, and then he's been killed.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, you're, you're bang on, aren't you? That's exactly right. Well, uh, well deduced.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Poirot over here.
0: <laughs> and so Atlee's death, obviously, that's, yeah, that leads to the <laughs> insane final, like, five mm. minutes, which is so different to the rest of the film. Because, like, we've had mm. this film that's been very understated. It's been quite calm, despite the events It's quite cool to look at. You've got the dappled sunlight occasionally in the tree. And it's all very, you know, calm. And then it gets to this moment after Balvin leaves the hospital. And suddenly it gets quite fast. It becomes like handheld. And everything's quite frenetic. And there's fucking loads of blood. (laughs)
1: Loads of blood, yeah. I didn't really see this coming, I have to admit. That this, this, there's a fight between the two men mm. which escalates in quite a similar way that the kind of feud between them has escalated over the last hour and a half that it starts off, you know, with arguing and grappling and then we have the gun, which I guess is like a, a BB gun kind of Maybe thing? Maybe like a,
0: some, yeah, like yeah. Or in some sort of rifle, like small, not particularly dangerous. Not deadly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then we have a small knife. Then we have a pitchfork. Then we have... Uh, you know, see, it, it all layer by layer just gets worse and worse. And you think, okay, right now, now they're going to back out. Now they're going to back out. And no, they keep going. <laughs> <laughs>
2: i think that's
0: is that that's what happens when you start fighting i think you it's very hard speaking
1: <laughs> speaking from, speaking from, from yeah,
0: all those battles that i've had throughout my <laughs> life once you're in it, you just you're not gonna stop until something makes you stop. Whether that's you until
1: you're both dead.
0: Quite. Whether you've had your, you know, your your insides torn out with a fork, or your throat <sighs> slit by a knife.
1: It's grisly. It's very grisly. It
0: and that's what's so surprising because you don't. There's no actual violence in the film. We don't see the dog even really being euthanized. Not that that would be violent to look at, but there's no violence. Or oh, not on that plot strand. So then, just to have this sudden, really crazy final, yeah, few minutes.
1: Mm.
0: It, yeah, blew me away.
1: But I kind of loved it because, you know, what it was, it was big and bold and brash. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna go for something, you may as well go for it with some full-bodied escalation.
0: Yeah, and, I, and it couldn't really have gone any other way. Like, you're not going to end the film with with Baldfin coming out of the hospital and go, oh, well, that was a bad feud we had with the neighbours, but Attlee's dead now, so that's probably, we should just leave it there.
1: Mm. It was it was kind of an interesting uh, Lady Macbeth-esque dynamic in that Ingar had kind of, like, fueled this whole thing on. Yeah. Egged up the whole thing, and then it wasn't actually her that was. It's. I really enjoyed the ending where we see her kind of left alone, and mm-hmm. the and the cat comes back. But it wasn't her that then is is fueled into the final bloodbath? She's actually saved from it.
0: Mm-hmm. I know. I really like that comparison to the whole Lady Macbeth thing. She's sort of orchestrating stuff, mm. whether she means to or not. Everything that happens mm-hmm. is because of her. Uh, mm. Baldwin eventually succumbs to being kind of her crony and just yeah. deals with the situation in a way that he doesn't, he clearly doesn't really know it how doesn't,
1: to do. Yeah, it doesn't seem very him no. to do this. Like he seems far too kind of chilled to escalate things to murder, as does Comrade. So it definitely kind of goes off the deep end a bit that you think, really? Would this be happening? But from her she's corrupted all their she minds she really has maybe. and
0: she gets what she deserves like there are no men left in this film mm. by the end
1: <laughs> also i hundred percent knew that that's how it would finish that um turns out that the cat <laughs> was alive of all course. along yeah and it was all in her in her mind
0: do you think the cat just literally went for a walkabout or that maybe conrad yeah, got- had dropped it off somewhere or
1: Oh, no, I think the inference is com- Comrade and Eggboard had nothing to do with it. I reckon it went and got trapped in a shed or something. That's what cats do, you know.
0: Do they get, they get trapped in <laughs> sheds?
1: That's a thing, is yeah, it? do not know? No? Cats get trapped in sheds and then uh, come back like a few weeks later.
0: Right, so Ooh. they escape the sheds <laughs> that they're trapped in. I think
1: this has happened to a couple of people I know that their cats have gone missing and then somebody has like opened their shed and the cat's been like it's been trapped in there for ages. Not their own shed, like Mm. a neighbour's shed or whatever.
0: Weird. Yeah, well, it seems whatever the the reason for the cat going missing, it seems very plausible that it did just go off and not come back for a while. Yeah. That's what cats do. But yeah, I mean it's quite a a great moment for the film to end on.
1: Yeah. I thought it was a very smart, neat ending.
0: Yeah, very neat. And even if you knew it was coming, like, it, it still works. It still hits that yeah. funny note, doesn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Funny and tragic.
0: Well, that's this film, yeah, in a nutshell, isn't it? Funny and tragic. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other bits and pieces uh, throughout the film that you liked or
1: didn't like? I guess I just say like I I did really I really enjoyed the Attlee plotline as a kind of standalone drama Mm. but I do kind of wish that maybe we just had a bit more focus on the main strand just to kind of keep the the pressure on or the tension on almost Um, you know that you felt a bit more like you're trapped there because quite often the tension would be building and then we'd like jump away to Agnes Mm -hmm. for a bit and then you'd come back and be like oh what was the last thing was there some gnomes or what was what had happened yeah and I just wonder they were both really interesting storylines and both very well done but I just wonder whether it might have been a stronger film to just stick with one of them
0: or yeah or perhaps just not to give it so much time yeah. We don't need to see every single time Attlee yeah. tries to speak to Agnes. It felt almost
1: equally weighted, didn't it
0: really? Yeah, and th- I, th- I don't think the two plots are, should be equally weighted, not especially considering mm. I guess the outcomes are supposed to show you can resolve issues like yeah. adults, which is, which is a good little comparison, but not necessarily yeah, I just it, you're right, it did take away some of that tension because that plot line isn't that tense, I felt quite strongly for Atley, you know, weirdly, but I never, I was never kind of massively worried that time was running out or that things were going to get much worse. I was just mm. more frustrated that Agnes mm. wouldn't talk to him. Yeah. So you're, I think, yeah, I think you're probably right, but it's a small little yeah, nitpick, it's, isn't it?
1: it? Definitely, it's a small nitpick. How about you? Did you have anything else?
0: Not especially. I just liked some of the the jumpers again and oh yes generally the icelandic style like that guy who works at the school
1: you know i knew you were going to mention him when you said you liked the jumpers <laughs> yeah, i was I like there's one anyone. standout jumper in this film and it's that guy who works at the school yeah who
0: hilariously knows so much more about at life than than he does, <laughs> yeah, than he does. <laughs> um no and just like i love the fact that you know there's one Ikea in Iceland and they went to Ikea. And that's the place that they went for yeah. their day trip. And it's just Again, so underwhelming. Again,
1: very, like, very intendedly humorous.
0: Absolutely. Because what we don't see in this film is any of the stuff that people would probably expect. There aren't any mountains. There isn't any mm. snow. There's no fire. There's no volcanoes. There's just nothing except an Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Love it.
1: Very wry.
0: Indeed. So, yeah, thanks again, Ellie. That's great. Um, And that's it. That's the final film for this series.
1: That's your lot.
0: How have you found it?
1: Really good. Really interesting, actually. And very enjoyable. A lot of stuff, again, that I wouldn't necessarily have, have opted for, but I've got a lot out of it and I feel like I've got a a decent sense of what Iceland is like, all kind of the preoccupations and the sense of humour and stuff, which has been really interesting.
0: Brilliant. And we'll discuss a little more of that, as well as who we've enjoyed watching on screen, and whether any of the films we've watched have made us want to visit again next week, when Ellie and I reconvene for a short end-of-series wrap-up episode. But that was Hafstæn Gunnar Sigurdsson's Under the Tree, or Unte Trenu from 2017. I'm still reeling from that stuffed dog. What did you make of it? Was it funny? Does Icelandic humour translate well? And how did it compare with Rams, the first film we looked at? I love them both. But that's it for films this series. The first leg of our journey is over. But our dive into 21st century Icelandic cinema is far from complete. Who knows, we may come back. But in the meantime, we're keen to hear from you lot. And we'll be reading out any messages sent to us via Twitter next week. So please do get in touch. We're on Twitter at kvikminderpod, that's K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D and can be found on all major podcast platforms where it would be lush if you could leave us a nice review and help persuade us to bring more Icelandic movies to the masses. Well, at least the niche podcast listening masses anyway. Thanks so much for listening. Tak bless.